In Hobart, there's that huge famous bridge connecting both sides of town across the mighty Derwent River. Infrastructure, bridges and buildings. In Britain last year, there was a massive scandal, still on, about hospitals and schools built 30 years ago with that bubbly concrete. Now it threatens to crumble, so hundreds of those schools were closed with little notice. Campbell Middleton is a professor of such things at King's College in Cambridge. But you come from Australia, you come from Tasmania, do you not? Yeah, they occasionally let people out once or twice a year, So, but that was many years ago. And How long have you been here? Since 1984 I first came over. What's so much fun about Cambridge for you? It's the mixture and the diversity of the people you meet and the science and the technology that's going on. But also I think the other thing is the quality of the students. That is really why this place buzzes because... We're fortunate, it's a privilege to have such talented students that come in who do all the real work. Many from Australia? A few. Obviously at postgraduate level we get a lot of the PhDs coming over as they aim for either America or smarter ones, pick the UK I should add. But occasionally you can get the undergraduates as well. So. And you get that sort of interaction even in engineering and architecture? I have to smile when you say that. Of course we do. Talented young students and yes, just because you're in the sciences doesn't mean you can't communicate and have fun as well. No, exactly. Have you specialised in bridges mainly? Yes, for the majority of my career I always describe myself as a bridge engineer, but more recently I've moved into wider aspects of the whole construction industry and the construction of the built environment, which provides the opportunity to really address some of the major challenges facing humanity Because if you think about it, all these key areas from the climate change emergency, but also in the quality of life, boil back to the transport systems, which we build as the civil engineers, to the energy that we need, the power stations and the wind turbines are all built by the construction industry, and then also the housing, the water supply, and so on. I get excited about the opportunity for our industry to really be the provider of many of the solutions we must and will need for addressing all these challenges. I've heard lots of ideas, and I've broadcast them, of smart brains saying what's possible, but then to get the traction with the outside world of applying some of these ideas so that they fit together and you can see the reality of a better life. How's that happening? You're absolutely right. That is one of our greatest challenges, and I would argue that much of the challenge we face is getting the actual evidence and the data that provides for the policy makers and the politicians the evidence of what improved outcomes can be. And that's something where all the excitement at the moment with big data, AI and machine learning is highlighting the need for that fundamental data. The Facebooks and the Amazons and the Googles have been on that for years and scooping up all this data but you'd probably be shocked and surprised to see how much of our built environment, our bridges, our tunnels, our roads, our power stations, how much we actually know about how they perform and how close to the limit they are, how much residual life they have, how are they deteriorating, all these issues. We're only just beginning to recognise how important that area is and how we need to use the new sensors. We need to collect the data and most importantly, know how it informs decisions. Well, one of the things that's a paradox, which we all know about, is when you have firms, you want to have a building put up or you want to have an area, a council chooses a firm is going to 
put up the latest road conjunction, if you like. And what you want is something we can afford. And the money rules at all costs and also the speed at which you can get it done so that people stop complaining about disruption to their lives. Those two things, money and convenience, keeps getting in the way of progress in some ways. Do you agree? Yes, in principle, but neither of them should be a barrier to what could be done because the reality is we're going to build, we're going to do these things anyway. Our argument is by a little bit of thought, better understanding of what's actually going on and why, we can dramatically improve it. And we're actually getting evidence right now on things like building just your normal commercial building in London or Sydney or anywhere else around the world. The industry has a reputation for, it comes in over cost and over time in many cases. Now, whether that's actually true, there are various people trying to collect that data, but our argument is that if we redo things in a slightly different way, more attention to thinking up front, planning up front instead of the pressures to deliver yesterday, that little bit of sitting back and reflecting can absolutely transform the outcomes. And there are opportunities to dramatically improve speed at which things are done, the quality of which things are done, and that, of course, leads to dramatic savings in costs. So it's more about, as you said, changing the mindset of accepting that, oh, we need it the cheapest. What we really want is the best long-term value, and that's a mindset change. Let me give you a couple of examples and ask you for a couple of examples of the sort of thing you're talking about. The University of Technology in Sydney, I have been in a department of the studying of building research where they've got examples of seaweed that's been changed around to be a substitute for concrete. Okay, you may mix it with supplies of seashells, which are abundant as a result of the fishing industry, and normally they're thrown away. And you then add various things like collected glass, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So that sort of thing's going on. And then in Western Australia at Curtin University, they're looking at the trackless tram. Why do you want it trackless? Well, Professor Peter Newman says, so that you don't have a track down which then determines how the city is going to develop rather like in Los Angeles, you put out the cars because all the roads were there and you had no choice. So you've got that flexibility in both putting the buildings up and also the other example of having transport doing in a more flexible way. What are your examples? I mean, that's a lovely example of two very innovative, novel ideas which are changing the mindset of what's possible. The interesting thing with both of those will be, will the clients, will the governments implement them and take that step into the dark, you could say, being prepared to take a risk. And that's why we need to be collecting the evidence, being prepared to take a trial, demonstrate the tram system you're talking about in Western Australia, we'll do it, build a small one, show the outcomes, measure the benefits. And that's the sort of entrepreneurial approach we need to get at the policymaker and the client side to do that. I would argue that if we just keep going with the more of the same, we're never going to make progress. Give me some examples from your own field. Well, one of the interesting ones is in the sensor technology and what we can measure now of the performance of structures, for example. And the simple example we do is we've been monitoring a couple of rail bridges in the UK using fibre optic technology, the same as you use in your telephones and the internet. But these have the capacity to be able to measure strain and temperature over long distances. And by using them appropriately, we can actually measure now how a bridge deforms, how it strains, and from that infer what's the loading on it and infer how safe it is, things like that. 
And through doing that, we've demonstrated that on the bridges we've been monitoring, both very new ones, recently constructed, that actually you've got a massive reserve of strength that was really not recognised. So overnight, if we can build up the confidence to use this data to reflect on our structures, I would argue that you could dramatically change the way we design things. You'd save enormous amounts of money, materials and carbon by beginning to realise just how much over-design there is in the world, and yet we won't be affecting safety if it's done properly. But before we can do that, we've got to build up enough evidence and collect enough evidence to have the confidence. It's not just one or two examples, we've got to do this. And that's using a transfer of technology from the telecommunications industry into the civil engineering industry as one example of it. Are the authorities, the politicians and the planners listening? Some are, not enough in my view, but then we equally as academics have failed too often to demonstrate value. We've got excited about a technology, shown some measurements, but we have to be able to collect the evidence to demonstrate that true value and not lose sight of that in the end is what we've got to do. So yeah, it is a big challenge. There are examples all around the world of this, but interestingly in sectors like the offshore oil and some of the private areas where there's big money and they appreciate you stop or interrupt production or operation for just a short period of time. It adds up very quickly. The challenge in the public sector and things like infrastructure is, well, who's paying for the delays when you close the M5 in New South Wales or the M25 in London? Because it's all the individual people that are disrupted. There's no single person collecting the money. You do that to an oil company because you've shut down oil production and that's big money. And that's one of the challenges to recognise the value to society and we as the clients and the government need to take on board that wider recognition that this is society's money. But if you don't take the long term, for instance, looking at the ways in which, say, disease can predominate, and a friend of mine wrote a book called The Coming Plague 30 years ago, and guess what? (laughs) Two years ago, there it was. And similarly with the kind of disasters that happen with infrastructure, not being able to deal with floods or fires for that matter, that you end up paying far more, the trillions, than if you'd actually slowly war the delays and all that sort of thing. But you come from Tasmania. There's a wonderful novel called Bruni, (laughs) based on Bruni Island, where a great big bridge suddenly is built by various means. Heather Rose wrote the book, and she's from Tasmania as well. It's very interesting exercise in looking forward. What sort of things would you like listeners to think of in terms of, if you like, what Barry Jones was doing with the Commission for the Future, imagining what their world might look like if they had the choice, really, to look forward to it? It's a pretty challenging question, but I think one thing that strikes me in my field, in Bridges, the one thing as you look around the world is what a place maker and what a incredible influence they have. And you think of the number of cities around the world where the big iconic bridge is the symbol of the structure from Tower Bridge in London, be it Sydney Harbour Bridge in Sydney, be it California with the Golden Gate. But secondly, how they bring communities together and provide a complete transformation in the life of people. And it's not only places like many years ago, they built what's called the Blinking Eye in Newcastle, across the river there, joining what was the Gateshead area to the other side. And that 
absolutely led to a dramatic transformation in the regeneration of an area that had been run down somewhat and the city changed enormously. But you go out, there's a wonderful charity called Bridges for Prosperity, which goes round the world to developing countries and helps out with some often trained engineers to work with the local community to replace an old rope bridge across a huge gorge, which children are trying to cross to get from one side to the other. It can absolutely transform the lives of so many people. This sort of ability to really improve the quality of life I think about that's the one side but the other thing as you said it's really thinking for the long term and I don't think we do enough of that it's all focused on this year's budget but again it's a mindset and in my own experience it's always individuals one leader one individual be it a politician be it in a government body be it in a company you get those visionaries that make things happen and they're the people to go and line up next to and follow and we need more of that And Australia's got many examples of that. I keep looking at many examples of what Australia's been doing in infrastructure. And I was out there last year on a visit and fascinated by the big build in Victoria. Tens of billions of dollars being redirected towards redeveloping the trams, the level crossings, bridges, the rail system out there. And everywhere I went around the country, people said, look at that as an example of what's possible of changing the mindset of how you deliver infrastructure, how you manage it, how you invest thinking about just how do we do things better. I have a number of roles over here where we're often looking to Australia for that innovation and willingness to just let's show how we can do things differently. The importance of leaders and inspiration reminds me of the top 100 scientists making things happen and following through. Cam Middleton from Tasmania is Professor of Construction Engineering at King's College, Cambridge, The Science Show on RN.